Good morning, Faith Fellowship. It's good to see everybody. Hey, wait a minute. I said good morning. Good morning, good morning Fellowship. What in the world now? <laughs> Starting already yelling at you. <laughs> hey, so if you have your Bible, be turning to Acts chapter 22. As you know, as we've been discussing over the last uh, few weeks, we've been talking about this transition in Paul's ministry. Um, this is a, a huge uh, change from what we've seen. Uh, there are elements that are familiar to us, <laughs> like being at odds with his kinsmen. But this is different because what we talked about last time we were together is he shouldn't be here. Now, this is my um, uh, plug for LFBI. If you haven't uh, enrolled in class, man, it's too late, Pastor. Isn't it too late now? No. Okay, Tuesday is the last day. Listen, you guys, we're in all our Bible studies, we're studying Romans. It would behoove you to take that class. <laughs> okay. Maybe today is the last day. Okay. Today, till 11.59. <laughs> and then, so get in one of our classes. I'm going to just plug Romans uh, just because we're studying that in our Bible studies. And this is a critical book. We, we want to know and understand our salvation, how it came about, all the details to it. We want to know historically what God's plan is for Israel. We're going to see that in, in Romans. And then also in Romans, you're going to see how it is to live out your faith. And so a lot of times there's these questions that just kind of come up where you're like, I don't know what to, what does God want me to do? And I'll, Romans will answer that. It is probably the most complete, clear book in the Bible. And it's because Paul thought he was going to be dead when he wrote it. So he wanted to make sure that that was all of the information that he could possibly give this growing church that not necessarily established. The name of the Lord had already been there, but not established. Why do I mention that? Because we saw that it hinted at it a little bit in Acts 21. So when he was at Corinth, he wrote that. And what he told, what you find out in Romans is that he actually said to them that he was gonna come and visit them. So this is what his itinerary should have looked like. It should have went Corinth, Rome, Spain, but it's not, it's Jerusalem. And that's in part because we know, yes, he had already with the Gentile churches established a um, kind of a, uh, uh, a, just a tradition that would be support Jerusalem. They were having a hard time with the famine the Agabus had mentioned. And so because of that, he wanted the Gentile churches to help support Israel, you know, the church in, in Jerusalem there. So he had some money that he, you know, he could have given to somebody else, but he didn't. His heart is always to get in front of his kinsmen. His heart absolutely is one really directed by his emotions and just the state of Israel. And so he put himself in harm's way. It's a poor choice. And we're seeing the effect of that. And we talked about that last week of just making decisions based off emotion and just how detrimental that is to you. 
So now here we are. Paul is in Jerusalem speaking to the angry mob of Jews. He had already been beaten by this point, detained. They want to kill him. The, the angry mob wants to kill him. The chief captain that's there, remember, there is this castle of Antonia that's kind of up on a hill. And while they're watching these Israeli festivals and, and whatnot place, they can get close by. And so they see, obviously, there's an uproar. Paul calls this because, remember, he went into the synagogue. He had shaved his head. He is now, you know, doing very Jewish things. And somebody sees him and calls him out on it, right? And so he hasn't really had a chance to speak like we normally see. We're seeing also just a lot of times the Lord sends him somewhere. It's going to be a place where it's going to be fruitful. There's going to be souls saved. All we've seen is strife up to this point. This is, again, how we know this is out of bounds for what Paul should be doing. If nothing else, he should be in Spain, <laughs> you know, not Jerusalem. So anyway, he's here. And remember, the one thing that we want to do in situations like this is this pointing out for us, just in terms of Paul not taking the heed from the Holy Spirit, but does that, you know, now do we get to villainize him? Do we get to throw out all the wisdom that he's given us from the New Testament? Absolutely not. And so the thing that you're going to see is there is something that he's going to take the opportunity in this time that is pleasing to the Lord. And that is going to be, as our title says, and I'm sorry for the technical difficulties we're experiencing. Those of you that are here regularly, you know, this is just how it is, unfortunately, with these screens. But this is the testimony of God's love. Okay, this is, and so you would think generally like, oh yeah, he's going to give a testimony of himself. Well, we're going to, we got to read between the lines really what he's saying and why he's saying what he's saying and the importance of it, and especially to his kinsmen. How you, just a little window there, if you have your Bible, you can look ahead in Acts 23, 11, you need to hear exactly what it is that God says about what he's doing in Jerusalem. Now, I'm not saying that the Lord is not, uh, <clears throat> how would I say that, disappointed that he didn't take the heat from the Holy Spirit. But now let's just, because, okay, but let's just look at what does God say? Because God is very silent. And something else for the Bible students in here, you don't really hear the mention of Holy Ghost or Holy Spirit much after at this point. It's not that he's not at work. It's just very different. Paul's ministry was very much led by the Spirit's leading. And then when he stopped, now the Lord is like, well, son, you're going to lay in that bed. I love you. I'm with you. But uh, it's going to be rough. You took the long road. And so here it is, something very critical. We look forward so that way we can properly see where we are. And the night following, the Lord stood by him and said, Be of good cheer, Paul, for as thou hast testified of me in Jerusalem, so must thou bear witness also at Rome. Oh, wait a minute. God says that Paul testified of him in Jerusalem. Now, up until the point that we've been reading in, in, in Acts 21 and kind of even before, he hasn't said a word. <laughs> right? So now it must be that this testimony he's giving is not really about his personal testimony, but of who the character of God, right? 
So now let's look back at it. Okay, so there's a lot of text here. We're gonna try to, Lord, okay. We're gonna try to, <laughs> to uh, hurdle 21 verses. Pray for me. <clears throat> okay, verse one. This is now Paul speaking. Remember, he had been arrested. He's taken away. Paul asked the chief captain, hey, can I speak to these guys? He's in bonds. Remember, two chains is what he has. Doesn't even mention his chains. But now it is that he's getting an opportunity to speak to the angry mob. And so here's what he says. Notice the greeting right up front. Men, brethren, and fathers. It's beautiful. Not angry people, rebels. Men, brethren, and fathers, hear ye my defense, which I make now unto you. And when they heard that he spake in the Hebrew tongue to them, he kept the more silence. And he saith, I am verily a man, which am a Jew born in Tarsus, a city in Sicilia, yet brought up in this city, this city being Jerusalem at the feet of Gamaliel and taught according to the perfect manner of the law of the fathers and was zealous toward God as ye all are this day. And I persecuted this way unto the death, binding and delivering into prisons, both men and women. And as also the high priest doth bear me witness and all the estate of the elders from whom also I received letters unto the brethren and went to Damascus to bring them, which were there bound in Jerusalem for to be punished. And it came to pass that as I made my journey, notice how I like how he said that, my journey, and was come nigh into Damascus about noon, suddenly there shone from heaven a great light round about me. And I fell unto the ground and heard a voice saying unto me, Saul, Saul, why thou me? And I answered, who art thou, Lord? And he said unto me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom thou persecutest. And they that were with me saw indeed the light and were afraid, but they heard not the voice of him that spake to me. And I said, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said unto me, arise and go into Damascus, and there shall be told thee of all things which are appointed for thee to do. And when I could not see for the glory of that light, being led by the hand of them that were with me, I came into Damascus. And one Ananias, a devout man, according to the law, having a good report of all the Jews which dwelt there, came unto me. And stood and said unto me, Brother Saul, receive thy sight. In the same hour I looked upon him. And he said, The God of our fathers hath chosen thee, and thou shouldest know his will, and see that just one, and shouldest hear the voice of his mouth. For thou shalt be his witness unto all men of what thou hast seen and heard. And now, why tarriest thou? Arise, be baptized, and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. And it came to pass that when I was come again to Jerusalem, even while I prayed in the temple, I was in a trance and saw him saying unto me, make haste and get thee quickly out of Jerusalem, for they will not receive thy testimony concerning me. I'm sure the crowd liked that statement. And I said, Lord, they know that I am prison and be in every synagogue them that believe on thee. And when the blood of thy martyr Stephen was shed, I also was standing by and consenting unto his death and kept the raiment of them that slew him. And he said unto me, depart, for I will send thee far hence unto the Gentiles. 
And so it just gets live and direct after that. <laughs> but in terms of our focus for today, again, you see there, this is this testimony of, of God's love. And really just my purpose essentially that I want you to have this morning is this, that, is that we learn to, in a situation like this, give God the glory. See, a lot of times, right, like we can look at this story and we want to look at the man, we want to look at what he's going through and all of those things, and they're important. The Lord documented that. But let me tell you something. The thing that you must pay more attention to is what God is doing. And, and when given the opportunity to complain or whine about the state of things or to accuse Israel for their atrocities of which he would have been just to say, no, he tells him what God did for him. That's huge. And it's a huge point for us to just kind of understand where maybe we could get some relief in the difficulties that we address. Is it always that how we come to the Lord is, woe is me, I'm going through this situation, why are you allowing this in my life, or do I just give God the glory? See, perhaps it is, that is why this is transforming and even that God himself makes a statement that he does in the next chapter and gives him that opportunity to get to Rome as Paul had intended. And so our first key point this morning is this. There is a clear distinction between reckless and righteous. There is a clear distinction between reckless and righteous. In the first five verses, you see that he is zealous toward God in error. He is zealous towards God in error. He is more reckless than he is righteous. So you get this down. It is God alone that defines our lives. You don't get to pick what's righteous. And there's a whole lot of that happening in today's world. Colossians 3, 3 through 8 says this. I, well, I'm just going to read 3 and, and, uh, and 4. But man, 3 through 8, when actually, no, I, I remember making a note to myself. That's why. I, let's look at it. Turn over there. Colossians 3, 3 through 8. <clears throat> I love it, right out the gate. <laughs> For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. And then it tells you what to do. Mortify, therefore, your members. These are your members, okay? Hand, arm, feet, eyes, head, the thoughts, the actions that you're gonna take place. Mortify your members, which are upon the earth fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil and covetousness, which is idolatry, for which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience, in the which ye also walked some time when you lived in them. The best part of this, but now. But now. Ye also put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy com communication out of your mouth. Thing is, is like we said before, Brother Paul was in error. And really, he kind of said, and just for the sake of time, actually, we'll just look at that. 
and being enthusiastic. And I kind of just made just, you know, uh, just a little chart for myself and going over those first five verses. So in this, his appeal to them is like this. I am a Jew. He's speaking to their ethnicity. Says he's brought up in Jerusalem under Gamaliel. He speaks then of his education in such a way in order to get their ear, right? Get their attention. They know who Gamaliel is. I followed the law of the, fa of the fathers. He was exemplar. Man, he had the example. This is a man that you could follow, a Pharisee's Pharisee. Paul was about it. And then last, zealous toward God. But let me tell you what he wrote to the Romans about being zealous toward God, and in particular, his Israeli brothers. Romans 10, 2. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. This is why Christ has to define that. So in Paul's mind before, when he was the Pharisee's Pharisee, taught under Gamaliel, so that, you know, it's Ivy League education, that he is a Jew's Jew. So what? That's your righteousness. And I love that he is making a connection with the crowd in order to get them to kind of let him in and hear like, well, he's not some scallywag from some other place. He's one of us. He was taught by us. He represents us. He didn't just learn the law. He lived it out. He was a Pharisee. He was zealous. See, it's important for us to know in verse four when it says, I persecuted this way. This way matters in your Bible. This way is that way of salvation, Acts 16, 17. The way of God, Acts 18, 26. That's what he persecuted. That's picking his own righteousness. See, these are the commonalities in the flesh that sometimes we want to identify too much with. I am like you. I thought like you. I acted like you. I was accepted by you. But listen, get this down. Whatever connects us to each other must be abandoned in order for us to connect with Christ. Whatever connects us to each other must be abandoned in order for us to connect with Christ. I cannot put those things before him. So this is why he's just setting them up. He got them nice and comfortable. Hey, hear me. I'm one of you. I think like you. I'm from the same town. Taught by the same guy. Philippians 3, 7 and 8 says, But what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. And of course, because Paul's like run sentences together, he will have a whole paragraph as a sentence. <laughs> There's actually a break right there. 
<laughs> so you should read the rest of that. But it's beautiful. Paul is telling you how he thought about this in the light of what he now has in Christ. He knows that his kinsmen struggle very much with their traditions, with their ethnicity, with their education structure, their zeal for God, especially in comparison to a Gentile that they would just see as dogs. It means nothing, guys. And I think it goes back to the idea that we had kind of mentioned earlier, there's a clear distinction between reckless and righteous. If you consider something, man, perhaps it is that you have spent a lot of years just attending church. You've gotten involved, but you don't know who the Lord is. So what's the point? Why are you doing that? That's for your own righteousness. So that now, you know, it's like the people sometimes we can meet and they're like, oh, I don't eat unclean. And I, that's immediately, I just roll my eyes. <laughs> it, listen, the whole idea, like you got any kind of righteousness that the Lord would look at as worthy is foolish. It's foolish. There is a righteousness. It's his. That's the one umbrella I want to be underneath, not my own. Paul knew that. And Paul is setting his brethren up because now we're in the part where it's like, but of all these ways that we are common brothers, but I met Jesus on the way. And so the key point number two here would be this. Setbacks are the instruments of God. How do we know that? Well, because Paul was interrupted on his journey. Setbacks are the instruments of God. And boy, don't they just get you upset? You got plans. You mapped it out. Maybe you're one of those. You like to write it down. You and your, your spouse get together and you got all these ideas. Vacation is one. Uh, me and Serene, now we can make a list of things we want to do now. And <laughs> And the funny thing is, is I always go punt as soon as we get there. Because, <laughs> you know, I run all the time. So when I get there, I don't want to be running around. <laughs> right. And so I'm just like, um, you didn't pay for that tour, did you? <laughs> Good. Because <laughs> we're not going. <laughs> and so, man, listen, X are the instruments of God. Get this down. Whenever we are disrupted, we should be open to God's counsel. Whenever we are disrupted, you got a plan, you got an agenda, you think it's mapped out, it's going to go like this, and then boom, it changes. This doesn't happen. Your way is now, you, you, what do I do next? Listen, it may not be the best idea to just be asking friends and family, how about you ask the Lord? What do you want me to do? Proverbs 13.10 says this, only by pride cometh contention, but with well, well advised is wisdom. Well, I like that. Only by pride cometh contention. Boy, on our Israeli brothers and sisters, uh, that's just telling you that contention that's there is prideful in nature. But with the well advised is wisdom. Proverbs 19:20, hear counsel 
and receive instruction. Why? That thou mayest be wise in thy latter end. <laughs> now, the thing that's just kind of funny to me is I wonder as Paul, maybe not fully knowing what it is that he's going to say, is starting to think because sometimes that happens to me too. And this is how, this is why I love just what preaching kind of gives you the platform to do is like, you're talking to God, you're asking him, hey, give me a word. And the Lord starts saying, are you doing that? You're like, no, dad, that's okay. I just want you to. Now he's saying these things of all that God is doing and he's going to even mention that he follows. And I just wonder, did he go, I'm not following. Wait, uh-oh. <laughs> Maybe, maybe I, oh boy. It's just a, it's a passing thought that I just had. Okay, these setbacks are an instrument. And as we just kind of look at these things, we can kind of see this. And it came to pass that as I made my journey, was come nine to Damascus about noon, suddenly there shone from heaven a great light about me. See, it's important that he says that this light came from heaven and that it's noon. Guys. You, that's the brightest part of the day. Listen to what Isaiah says, 24, 23. Then the moon shall be confounded and the sun ashamed. I like that. When the Lord of hosts shall reign in Mount Zion in Jerusalem before his ancients gloriously. Man, this light would be like the trailer of in that day when the Lord returns and then finally the Lord is where he's supposed to be on the throne in Jerusalem and, and everything is running away. And it says the sun will be ashamed to see a light that is that bright. That in the Mediterranean, it's noon, it's brighter than the sun already is casting. Man, praise the Lord. I wonder what his audience is thinking in terms of him giving glory to the most high God. He goes on to say, and I fell into the ground, heard a voice saying unto me, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And I answered, who art thou, Lord? And he said unto me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom thou persecutest. And see, I, I, I get this down. This is something I just, a good takeaway here. We should take great comfort in the fact that being persecuted doesn't go unnoticed. Whose persecution are we talking about? The believers. The Lord is saying that that's my, you are persecuting me, Saul. When you are arresting men and women, you are throwing them in jail, you watching them, you are maybe standing in trial and saying, yes, they are worthy of death. And the Lord is saying, that's, you're persecuting me, Saul. Man, what does that do to a person that is zealous for God, thinks that they are doing the right things for God? I love the way it was said to Moses from God himself. Exodus 3, 7 says, and the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt and have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters for I know their sorrows and I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of the land unto a good land unto a large and a land flowing with milk and honey unto the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Prizites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. Saul, what are you doing? Well, Lord, you mean that throwing everybody in jail that's a Christian, persecuting them? 
watching them be killed, maybe clapping, smiling, nod of consent, whatever it is that he's doing that's horrendous and awful. And the Lord says, yeah, that's to me, son. Just the very foundation of what a zealot was in that time period and to have that kind of wisdom come upon you from the Lord himself would have been earth shattering. No wonder he fell to his knees. Man, I wonder, do we kind of look at it like that? Or is it just, you know, it's just a bridge to, we go to church, you know, we kind of do our thing and, oh yeah, I read my Bible. I'm a part of this. I do this. And has it been an earth shattering experience getting saved? Or are we over it? Could I have put, perhaps been, am I, I'm kind of good. I'm kind of good. It would have worked out. The Lord would have had to let me in. I look nice. No. See, I love that the Lord sees and hears our afflictions. And I love that he wants to personally come and do something about it. And I love that he met Paul on his way and disrupted his way in order to show him his way. Verse nine, and they that were with me saw indeed the light and were afraid and they heard the voice of him that spake to me. The light was seen by others, but understand this, but they didn't hear the voice. See, not, a, not everybody hears the call. It ain't like the gospel is not in the U.S. This is a reached nation. And increasingly detaching from the hand that was extended to it so many years ago. So you get a chance to respond. And I like that. I know that what appears to be something miraculous, and it is, I don't want to belittle it. It is miraculous. But let me tell you something. Salvation in 2022 is miraculous. Because you can't give yourself back. You can't earn it. You can't work for it. And so the miraculous is still present. It's still available to you. What will you decide today? Could it be that just simply as I'm speaking now that you are hearing your heart is beating a little bit faster? Or maybe you're like, man, I didn't, I never really thought about it like that. And now it is that I need to, I need to maybe consider asking the Lord Jesus Christ to be my Lord and Savior. Would he forgive my sin? Let me just tell you, absolutely. If Paul, the murderer, persecutor of Christians, could have this same kind of experience, why not you? There's nothing that could be done that the Lord wouldn't. If you just made an approach to him, he'd surely be there. So pay attention to what's happening here and what's available to you. Verse 10, he says, and I said, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said unto me, arise and go into Damascus. So you think about that setback. The Lord is like, no, stop. And, the, and the, the beautiful thing about the Lord is he didn't just stop him and set him down. He's like, no, let me tell you. Let's talk. Let's get more intimate. Because I don't want you running around being reckless like you were previously thinking that you're doing me a favor and you're really just hurting me. What shall I do, Lord? 
man, I pray that in this class, we would have that same heart attitude. Are we ready to give the Lord that same question? Or are we grown afraid of what his response might be? What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said unto me, Arise and go into Damascus, and there shall be told of all things what are appointed for thee to do. See, what shall I do, Lord? When you consider that, the Lord wanted Paul to stop, but he also wanted to use him. And in Psalm 25, 8, 9, it says, Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, will he teach sinners in the way the meek he will guide in judgment and the meek he will teach his way. See, it's an opportunity for you to just humble yourself. And that statement alone, what shall I do, Lord, is maybe something he had never asked the Lord. But now today he did. He was given instruction. You see that it has tied to that go. And he decided in his heart to obey. Verse 11, and when I could not see for the glory of that light being led by the hand of them that are with me, I came into Damascus. Don't miss this. Boy, sometimes I need help in obeying the commands. This is why you're here. This is why there's pastors and teachers, counselors, Bible study leaders, disciplers. There is a multitude of, of resources that are at the ready to try to help you to answer life's questions. And maybe it is, is that you should take heed of those things. Talk to these individuals, seek it out. Cause here's the thing that must be present in you in order really for that to take place is this, desperation is immediate. Desperation is immediate. If you look at what he's saying, when I could not see for the glory of that light being let, the Lord says, go arise, he's like, um, okay, um, I can't see. So how about that? <laughs> they got him there. Didn't they? Something else you want to take away from that, the Lord provides what we need. He is a provider. And he provides the things that we need. And so you just simply have to ask, what is it about the human that struggles with asking God for help? Why do we think so highly? as if you had the answer ever. The only thing that your wisdom has ever done for you is got you in trouble. Just own it. It's okay. We all baboons. We don't know what we're doing. We in a club, the baboons. We don't know what we're doing. That's our jacket says, we don't know what we're doing. <laughs> it's all good. See, Isaiah 42, 16 says, and I will bring the blind by a way that they knew not. I will lead them in paths that they have not known. I will make darkness light before them and crooked things straight. These things will I do unto them and not forsake them. Man, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord that Christ is not satisfied with whatever our state is if it's apart from him. Like he will do whatever it, it takes to get your attention. And the thing is that we have developed this amazing ability to not pay attention. Setbacks become these um, things that are disappointments for us. And we don't seek his counsel. We didn't seek his wisdom. And then we just go on our way and it's a mess continually. The whole thing is just agree. Desperation is immediate. Are you desperate? 
It's not a word in today's world that we like to say very often. It's not something that we like to feel. But listen, I don't have to have all the answers. I have none. I know who does. Man, it's great that Paul is laying this out because he's telling them, man, I was you. I was trained like you. I'm from the same place. I have the same zeal, but I let it go because I met Jesus in the way. Last key point. A rigid view of the work of God is unwise. A rigid view of the work of God is unwise. And here, and here's the thing you have to understand about that. You have been chosen by God for his purpose. And so you don't want to get into this place with God where you're like, I'm going to do this, not this. I'm going to do what's comfortable for me, what my ability, capabilities say. I, listen, I want to be like Plato and not the, not the scholar, but like Play-Doh, <laughs> okay? And just that the Lord would just form me and stretch me and move me and place me wherever. That has worked so much better than me trying to say, this is where I end up even. Man, I'm glad that Paul gave up his view of what the work looked like. Just think about if he didn't. Just think about if he wanted to somehow make some argument that, well, Lord, I'm saying you. That never even came up. That's wisdom. That he's not telling God this is what it should look like. No, he's ready. What shall I do? See, listen. Get this down. Servants don't pick the work. They do what they're told. Servants don't pick the work. They do what they are told. 2 Timothy 1.8. Be not there, therefore, ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. But be thou a partaker of the, affliction, of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy co- a calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose, and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. Listen, you don't have the answer and you don't know what to do, but he does and he wants to use you. But listen, you got to get in this kind of intimate relationship versus you just guessing what looks like the right thing. If we kind of skip down here, we see in 12 and 13, Nias, a devout man, according to the law, having a good report of all the Jews which dwelt there, came unto me and stood and said unto me, Brother Saul, receive thy sight. In the same hour, I looked upon him. And so listen, don't miss this. We should pay attention to the testimony of those that we consider our example. Who are your examples right now? Paul is saying of Ananias, he is a devout man. And he comes and he obeys the Lord. Remember, Ananias had issue well, what was going on? Because he was afraid of Paul. He's like, this guy is going to kill me, maybe. He's a known killer. Philippians 3.17 says this, Brother, and be followers together of me, and mark walk as ye have for us an example. For many walk of whom I have told you often, and now 
even weeping that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose is their belly, whose glory is their shame, who mind earthly things. Who are you following, y'all? Who are you following? Because see, ultimately, the thing you got to look between through that man or woman that is that you're following is see Christ absolutely at work in their lives. He says that. Be followers together of me and mark them which walk as ye have also for us for an ensample. Listen, you get to stop following me the minute I stop following Christ. That's just how it is. I appreciate your faithful attendance, but uh, that is your escape route. Oh, Dell, you're following yourself? See ya, thanks. I'll pray for you <laughs> in a different fellowship. <laughs> Don't worry, I won't be fellowship leader very long. <laughs> and so if that ever happens, that will be the end of that. But you see what I'm saying there? See, this is changing this, his view already. He's willing and able to just, okay, I, this is going to be different than what I'm used to. And let's get to the end here. And he said in verse 19, I said, Lord, they know that I am prison and beat in every synagogue, them that believe on thee. And when the blood of that martyr Stephen was shed, I also was standing by and consenting unto his death and kept the raiment of them that slew him. Get this down. All believers wrestle with the past in light of the present. All of us have this viewpoint that we see of ourselves and, and the Lord is like, hey, come, let's go do this thing. You're like, but Lord, I, I struggled with this. I had this. I'm not necessarily clean yet. My, I got a little mud on my shoes. It was like, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. And so here's this. After he says, he said to me, depart, for I will send thee hence unto the Gentiles. The conversation was over for them. They're done listening. Because the minute that he mentions the Gentiles are like, kill this guy. And they missed totally that God's glory was on display. And so my parting thought for you is this. Give God the glory. Simply. Give God the glory. Jude 125 says, to the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and ever. Amen. Period. Give God the glory. I pray that you at least consider what steps you're on. And if you're in a difficult place, give God the glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father. Lord, thank you so much for today. Lord, I pray that we would all just consider what it is that you've laid on my heart and, and that all of us need to follow. Lord, it is truly amazing what you've done in the life of Paul and, and Lord, in our lives. And so, Lord, I pray for those of us that don't know you, that, Lord, today would be the day of salvation. And for those of us that know you, that, Lord, maybe we need to renew and just say, Lord, forgive me, I've, I've been kind of distracted. And so, Lord, just help us to see that you are at work, that you disrupt our lives, and it's good for us. You have a purpose and a plan for us that's already mapped out. Lord, I don't have to guess at any of this. And so, Lord, thank you for your clarity. Thank you for your love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.